be bold. That's the message from Samantha Weeks, or as she's known in the sky by her call sign, Combo. Be bold. That's what it takes to be the first female solo demonstration pilot in the history of the Air Force Thunderbirds. Let's get bold on this episode of Pick Up the Six Podcast. Colonel Weeks, good afternoon. How are you? I'm great, Brian. Thanks for the introduction. Absolutely. Uh, fired up to uh, to speak with you today. Uh, was talking to Tammy Barlett on a recent episode of this podcast, and she said, you got to get combo on the air. I said, yes, ma'am. And so here we are uh, to connect. And any chance that I get to speak to someone from the Air Force, I'm fired up, uh, given my dad's history and my brother's current history, but then also to talk to a Thunderbird pilot who, as a kid, I longed for air shows to see the Thunderbirds come through. And I'm Team Thunderbird over Blue Angel. I know that might spark some controversy with our listeners, but to see those Thunderbirds come ripping across the sky, uh, there's a lot of nostalgia that rolls with that. So I'm just excited to get a chance to talk to you today. Well, thanks. You know, and you talked about watching the uh, Thunderbirds as a kid. And for me, I actually watched the Red Arrows. Um, Because like your dad, my dad was also in the Air Force, but we were stationed at RAF Lake and Heath from 1980 to 1985. So I typically watched uh, the Red Arrows across the sky. And that was what really set into motion for me part of my desire to become a fighter pilot. We're going to talk all about that. Tell me those years you were at Lake and Heath again. 1980 to 1985. So while you were at Lake and Heath. Did we overlap? While you were at Lake and Heath, we were at Upper Hayford, right? Because my dad was flying F-111s. My brother Ralph was born there in 1983. So we've got a little bit of overlap in the UK, which is a small world kind of thing. It, it sure is. Sure is. All right. So you grew up with your dad in the Air Force. I grew up with my dad in the Air Force. So we've got a few common points. Do you remember being a kid? And looking up at the sky and being like, that's the place for me. Take, take me back to that. When did, when did all that start for you? So for me, it started in 1981 at age six. And it was one of the first times that we were leaving England to go back to the United States. And I was uh, an enlisted kid. So the cheapest way to fly back in that day was space available uh, on a KC-135 from England back to Pease Air Force Base, New Hampshire. And my dad and my sister and I were flying home. And I learned quickly that the place to be was the boom because I could lay down on that comfy cushion, not on that hard cargo netting seat. And it had that window where I could look at the world below. And so that's where my sister and I were sitting during that flight. And a little bit into the mission, uh, the boomer came back and told us to scoot over. And we refueled some F-111s going from England back to the States. And after the second aircraft refueled, the boomer told me I had to swap out with my sister. She's older. Um, I didn't quite like that. And I reluctantly did what I was told by my elder. And I went up to where my dad was sitting. And I said, Dad, I know what I want to be when I grow up. And he looked at me. He's like, what, the boomer? I'm like, no, I want to be that pilot. And um. I don't feel bad saying this because my dad did it in an interview on TV, but he literally and figuratively patted me on the back and said, girls, don't do that. 
And it was 1981. And so my dad is and always has been my biggest supporter in life. And he was just telling me the truth that in 1981, women were precluded from fighting or from flying fighter aircraft in our military. But that moment in that day, I set my eyes on the skies and I decided to dream big. And I never, ever wavered from that dream to become a fighter pilot. Yeah. And part of that dream then takes you to the Air Force Academy. And it just seems like the natural way for that journey to go. Were there were there different options or were you like Colorado Springs, Air Force Academy or bust? Uh, pretty much like that. Um, again, enlisted kid, three daughters in my family. Uh, it was told to us very early on, scholarships are your friend. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, because my dad and mom did say college is a must. And so I learned about the Air Force Academy very early on and knew that I should go there because they pay you to go to college. <laughs> uh, and so I can remember going into my eighth grade guidance counselor and asking for a book on the Air Force Academy. And he recommended I come back when I really knew what I wanted to do in life. And so I already knew what I wanted to do. And like, like fine, him, I'll, be, I'll be back tomorrow <laughs> in the day after that and the day after that. Yeah. Like Kim Campbell, I uh, joined Civil Air Patrol and served in Civil Air Patrol. And um, was it Academy or bust? Yes, it was. Because junior, senior year of high school, my dad and I visited Annapolis because we had family that lived down in Maryland. And obviously, well, it's not obvious to you guys yet. We were living in upstate New York. Mm -hmm. So we drove down to West Point. And when we left West Point, I told my dad that I was no longer going to apply to Navy or Army. That it was all about the Air Force Academy. And if I didn't get in there, that I was just going to reapply. Um, and that's what I did. And I applied my senior year. Um, and did the congressional nominations that you needed from congressmen and senators and got my nomination from Congressman Sherwood Bullard and cut off my hair in February of my senior year. And I went to school that Monday and everybody's like, Oh my God, did you get into the Academy? <laughs> and I said, not yet, not yet, <laughs> not yet. But the fact that I chopped my hair off for basic training it again, I just, I'm going there. And graduated on a Sunday in June and flew out to the Air Force Academy Monday and entered on Thursday for basic training. Wow. Yeah, so I, I would say or bust uh, for sure. Yeah, definitely drive and determination were the only two D's that I had <laughs> up until that point in my life. So you go through the Air Force Academy experience and commissioned in the United States Air Force after that. What, what is the journey into fighters? Talk, talk us through how the path then uh, lays out, because now at this point, it's a long way between 1981 and 1997, right? Progress has been made. Where are we at in the world of female fighters and how does that then become reality for you? You know, um, every fighter pilot will tell you that our life uh, takes hard work, but luck and timing aren't bad things to have either. And for Kim and I, who are classmates from the Academy, we both entered in 1993. That happened to be the same year that women entered the fighter community 
with Jeannie Levitt and Sharon Presler and Martha McSally. And so timing was a big deal um, that I happened to be kind of at the right place at the right time, entering the academy in 93, graduating in 97. And my journey took me to Laughlin Air Force Base um, and a great bunch of people in class 9902. But I will say and acknowledge that I had a unicorn moment and I'm blessed to have had that unicorn moment. I finished number eight in T-37s and we only had six T-38s. So only six of us were gonna go that fighter uh, track. Back in the day, it was only fighters, bombers were in the heavy group Mm -hmm. uh, for my class. And number six and seven, their dads were fighter pilots. They were best friends. They only always wanted to be fighter pilots. And number six stood up in our track select, flipped a coin, looked at it and said, I'll take the fighter. Seven took a heavy, I took a heavy. And then at the end of the track select ceremony, they say T-38s go to that corner, T-1s go in that corner. C-130s and helos go to the back of the room. And so we all split up into our corners. And suddenly our flight commander comes over to the heavy side where myself and Seven are standing and tells Seven, Six said he doesn't want to fight her. And we're both kind of dumbfounded. And they go, Seven, what do you want? And he goes, no, I'm good where I am. And I look at him and I'm like, we talked this morning. This isn't what you wanted. This was pretty devastating news. He's like, nope, I talked to my fiance. This is going to be the best thing for us. And so I look at my flight commander and he looks at me and he's like, I I told you what I thought this morning. And what he had told me that morning in our feedback session with him was that he thought I should go to heavies. And the only real justification that he gave me at the time was that (laughs) I like people and I like to talk. And I would be much better in a crew aircraft because there's always somebody to talk to. (laughs) Um, But that wasn't what I envisioned, right? I envisioned my whole life being that fighter pilot below the KC-135. So they took me in number six to the T-37 squadron commander's office and they um, debriefed six uh, and gave him some feedback on um, our track select. And I'm sitting in this room and it's 1997, 1998, some point in there, feeling uncomfortable listening to this debrief of number six. And so I'm just staring at the wall and there is a picture on the wall to this day, which I can't tell you what the picture's of. Because the only thing that I see is a T-38 from the ramp that is reflecting in the glass of that picture. So when the squadron commander finally is done and he looks at me and he goes, what do you want to do? I pointed to that picture on the wall and I said, I want that 38. And so that's how I ended up going into T-38s and did really well in T-38s and got my number one choice of the F-15C. And it's hard to share that story because what I realized over time is it's a unicorn moment. That doesn't happen. Um, And having finished my career as a pilot training wing commander, 
seeing all of those young lieutenants with dreams and some of them the same dream that I had to fly fighters but not end up in a fighter and going to the heavy track I realized it's not fair to always share that story because because it doesn't happen and it did for me and I've never looked back and wondered what if I've just always looked back and been so grateful and thankful that I had that unicorn moment. Mm. That's incredible. That's an incredible it's, story. And thanks for sharing it. And we don't take it for granted, uh, right? To, to dig into that memory bank and share it. So there's got to be a little added pressure and weight then when you roll into the T-38. Like there's a lot, I mean, I better not screw this up. I think everybody who is still in pilot training, trying to earn their wings has that. Mm. So I didn't feel any extra pressure to be like, Hey, um, I didn't get to choose that initially. I just saw this as I've been given this chance and I can't let it go. And definitely worked my butt off in T 38s. I finished second. Um, and I'm grateful to my classmate, Joe Campo, who wanted an F-16 number one, um, because I wanted the F-15C number one. And luckily, he wanted a Viper. He chose the Viper, which left me with my number one choice of the world's greatest air superiority fighter. That's right. That's right. Yeah, F-15's got a sweet spot in the heart of the Jodas family. There's no doubt about that. We've seen him rip across the sky. Old man's ripped him across the sky plenty of times. Um, you know, I, I had uh, John Quartz on, uh, call sign Steel, and uh, John and I talked about one of the coolest things I ever got to see as a civilian through my dad's crew. A lot of neat things we've been a part of, but I got to be there on a selection night, right, where a graduating pilot training class got their aircraft. And, like, I've never seen anybody in more excitement than that moment. Uh, when, and I don't know how they did it for you, where it was like a PowerPoint. They just flipped the plane up on the, like this screen, right? And then your name's up there and you get it. What was that night? What was that experience? Is that similar, similar kind of experience for you? So my experience, uh, again, it was 1998. And the way we did our drop nights then is um, a little bit more fun uh, surrounding it. And so each class had to come up with a concept. And you'll have to go way back into the archives. Um, but we did it like MTV singled out. <laughs> so for all the young people who don't know what that is, go Google it. It was like the dating game type of thing. And there was a barrier between me uh, and the three options that I had. And so there were three other people on the other side of the uh, partition. And they each had a plane around their neck. And the MC asked some questions um, and one of those planes would step forward. And at the very end of the three or five questions that they asked, I was standing face to face with the plane that was around that person's neck, which was my plane. And every now and then we like to have a little bit of fun with students and that part is probably always true in pilot training. And I happened to be that fun that night. So the plane that I was staring at was a T-37 FAPE to Laughlin Air Force Base. 
And the squadron commander, that same one, got up and handed me the bottle of champagne and the scarf and gave me a hug. And I started to open the bottle. He's like, don't, this is just a joke. And I looked at him and I'm like, I know. And, um, you know, then they said, oh, wait, 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 there's been a mistake. And uh, then the screen flashed that same thing of the mighty, mighty eagle. Awesome. And that is how I got it. And having finished recently at pilot training, it's not that different. We have them up on stage. We tell a few little stories about them. And, you know, then we flash up their plane. And every now and then, you know, there's a little bit of humor added into it, just like there was back in the day. Yep. Uh, combat hours in that F-15C uh, during Operation Northern and Southern Watch. Uh, when does the move, let's talk about those Thunderbirds, and folks have seen those red, white, and blue F-16s flying around. Let's talk about the move there. How does all that come to be for you? Because it's a pretty incredible experience. It's an amazing uh, group of fighters. It is the Air Force's show, right? When you go to uh, an air show, and there's a lot of neat things that happen in air shows, but when the Thunderbirds come out, it's a special, it's a special occasion. Yeah. And so it really goes back to that six-year-old little girl. Um, I was now 24 years old. Um, the Air Force had given me so much in my entire life, and I was a little bit lost because I never thought what comes next. You know, the climbing the ladder was to become a fighter pilot. It really never thought beyond that. Um, And so I had to spend a few years figuring it out. And I would say that the desire to be a Thunderbird pilot for me was never something that I set my mind on as a little kid. It really happened through meeting a former Thunderbird and a person who had been at Langley Air Force Base, uh, Clyde Callahan. And Clyde had come back to Langley a little bit when he was... Uh, at his next assignment. And then I saw him in 2002 or three on the Thunderbirds where he was the right wing also. And I saw what Clyde did and I saw how he gave back. And so when I went to Korea as an air liaison officer, I set my eyes that I wanted to give back to the Air Force. Mm -hmm. And the way that I wanted to give back was to be a Thunderbird pilot. And you needed a thousand hours of fighter time when I applied for the team. And I applied the first year in 2005, the same year as Nicole applied. And I didn't have those thousand hours, but I had kind of been told, just throw your name out there. So you start to get name uh, awareness. Um, And the team obviously picked up Nicole for the 2006 season as the first ever female on any aerial demonstration team. And um, I reapplied the next year. And my group commander at the time in Alaska told me, don't even bother applying. They just hired a girl. And I went back to my time at Langley in the 94th Fighter Squadron, which is known as the Hat in the Ring Gang. And I'm like, no, I got to throw my hat in the ring. Mm. If they don't want to, females will tell me no. And so that's kind of where Be Bold uh, started in my mindset. It was kind of like, be bold, tell me no, and watch me go. And so I decided to put in an application um, to the team, despite them having a female pilot. And luckily, the team wasn't about percentages or anything like that. They were about the best people 
that applied for that year to be on the team. And I got to be uh, number six, the right solo pilot um, for two years. And it was an absolute blast without a doubt. Mm. History's made. Uh, Nicole is Nicole Malakowski, first female Thunderbird pilot. And then combo comes along and, and you've got kind of rapid history in this very quick amount of time, which is really pretty neat. It's that special Navy blue flight suit, right? It, it, it's, it's, it distinguishes, right? It, it's crisp. It's tight. Um, it's just a special thing. But and you talked about but, just being so, yeah. Tell me. No, what's let, let's call it a dark blue. Flight dark blue. Suit. Navy blue. You're right. Good point. Fair point. Fair point. Dark blue. <laughs> But such a special thing, and you and you really are kind of the tip of the spear of showing off the Air Force, which is one of the things I love so much about. It's when my heart broke when, and this isn't a political commentary. There were some budget cuts years ago, and they're like, "Well, we got to get rid of the Thunderbirds." I'm like, "No, no, <laughs> please don't do that." It, it, it's amazing that experience, right? You got to travel all over the world with that. We did with that group. So tell tell us just a little bit more about it. how was that experience. It was an amazing experience. Um, really, I kind of say from a flying standpoint, it's everything that they told us in pilot training was a prohibited maneuver. And now they're go, telling go do me, it. Yeah, have at it. Yeah. And now they're telling me as a solo pilot, go do it and do it really good. And so from my standpoint as a solo pilot, it was power and performance as well as precision, right? I did things with the F-16 that I wouldn't have thought me capable of nor the aircraft capable of. And that was amazing in and of itself to learn how the trust and the teamwork of the entire team, but of the solo pilots or of the Delta is necessary to showcase our mission of the Air Force to people all across the country and all across the world. But even beyond the flying aspect, the team teaches you about teamwork more so than any other experience that I've ever had. I climbed into that jet every day for 800 hours in two years and never once did a walk around to make sure my jet was good for me to strap on. My crew chiefs did that. That was Harley Davidson's job and Jory Sears. It was not Samantha Weeks's. Mm -hmm. And there was never a day that I doubted that because they knew that jet and my life were in their hands. And so that's just one piece of trust and teamwork that is showcased through the men and women on the Thunderbirds. And the next one is my favorite example. And it goes to a flying one. It's the crossover break. I was going to say, you got to tell us a story about how you did something in that plane. You got back on the ground, like, whoa, that was, yeah, that was something. Um, it's the crossover break. The solos come from behind the crowd. And so we fly right over your head. And then a little bit in front of you, we cross each other's flight path. And what you don't really hear is our calm cadence as we're doing this. And number five will say, stand by six, six out, ready now. And on the S in stand by, five goes to mill power, six pulls the power. Um, wait, make sure I don't get this wrong. 
Yeah, five goes to mill power, six pulls the power back a little bit. And then on the N and now, five pulls five-ish Gs and six pulls about seven Gs so that we have line of sight that gives us the ability to know we're not going to hit. And then pulling that difference in our Gs lets us know we're not going to hit. But the very first time that I did that with Pinto Casey, who was my number five, he did it at the cadence he was used to. Standby, six, six out, ready now. I look at him and I'm like, oh, no way. And I pull straight up because we didn't have the trust right. or the repetitions that I could meet his cadence and his line of sight. But at the end of that year, he said that we executed it and it's a perfect hit where our flight paths truly cross within 50 feet of each other. Whoa. And the only reason we don't hit is because we know each other. We know what this looks like. I know how he pulls his aircraft. I know how I pull mine. And we really have epitomized that teamwork that is necessary in any military operation where you have to rely on somebody else for your life and to get the job done. There is incredibly important lessons in that that are applicable outside of aircraft um, because it, it's just about that continued trust uh, that is so incredibly valuable in that moment. Um, and for the point of, and I'm going to lean in a little bit on, you know, first female Thunderbird pilots, it doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman up there. You've built that trust up with each other to be able to do that. Absolutely. Um, and you're right. That lesson is applicable to anything and everything in life. And trust is built day in and day out through every interaction that you have with that other person. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you, you talked about earlier that history was made quite quickly from Nicole to myself. Well, it continued because my number six pilot when I was five was Tonka Douglas. And Tonka was the first African-American solo pilot ever. And I can tell you that at one of our first air shows, we kind of realized that I was the first female solo and he was the first black solo. And we looked at each other and we're like, don't screw this up. Yeah. Um, and through the reality of what that was, I think broadened both of our experiences and understanding about what our journeys were and how they were similar as minorities and potentially different from the majority, but also uh, very alike to the majority uh, that we served with. But that, those conversations, the transparency and the honesty with which we had them, I think evolved our ability as leaders to lead others with a more open, embracing, inclusive mindset. Mm. Powerful. Really, really incredible. Um, we're going to dig in a little bit because I want to talk about uh, sort of that full, full circle, right? Coming back to, to Columbus at the end and, and how that was for you and, and also just how you've continued to spread this message of being bold. Not every episode we do is PG uh, and, and not every story about how you got your call sign is appropriate. Can you share with us 
where combo came from? You know, um, yes and no, right? I, I sure could, <laughs> yeah, um, but it's definitely not PC. Um, and I have shared it in context to people to really kind of showcase where the Air Force was in 1998 mm-hmm. um, as far as most call signs back then for women being sexually connotative uh, and combo, you know, had that. But obviously, when I became a Thunderbird, I had to come up with what does combo mean to me? And I think that's the more important story is during those years of 2007 and 2008, when you're inevitably asked on the autograph line, what does combo stand for? I proudly could say that combo stands for no better combination of sass and determination. And that is why I am okay with being called combo today and have embraced it as part of who I am. And even at my civilian job now, shift four payments, my boss calls me combo. And, you know, he recently went into this space with inspiration four and is a leader in the air and on the ground. And he calls me combo. And I'm okay with that because I have embraced that it is that balance and that boldness of sass and determination to go after your dreams and live them. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's incredible. Uh, over 2000 uh, hours flying F-15s, F-16, T-38, and a chance at the end of your Air Force career to have command of that 14th wing, right? At Columbus Air Force Base. I was born in Columbus, Mississippi. Uh, how was that experience? To, to be able, you talked about it a little bit before. I want to go back into that to be able to sort of come full circle and, and have command as those lieutenants are coming through and, and starting their air force journey to end in that chapter has got to be pretty incredible. It, it absolutely is incredible because it does bring it truly full circle, right? My first assignment was in a flying training wing for pilot training. And my last assignment was in a flying training wing for pilot training and knowing that you could somehow mold, mentor, and influence the people who are going to carry the torch beyond you is is priceless, right? And I don't even have the words to talk to about it. Uh, And one thing that we're dealing with in pilot training right now um, is not enough fighter pilots in T-38s to train that next generation due to our uh, fighter pilot shortage. And the Air Force is working on it and doing great things, but those students in pilot training need to see that firsthand experience of how to fly the jet. What does this maneuver mean in relation to flying fighters? And so one of the first things I did was tell the T-38 squadron commander, I don't want to fly direct support. I want to fly with students. Mm. Now, I understand I'm the wing commander, so there's a time and a place where I can do that, And so I focused on flying formation with students because that was a place that I could devote my whole time and attention to um, and had the credibility in the jet to be able to do such a thing and teach them some of the fighter pilot ways. And I will say that the 50th Flying Training Squadron at Columbus has phenomenal 
instructor pilots, whether they're C-17 pilots, first assignment instructor pilots, B-52, B-2 pilots, you know, or the few fighter pilots that we do have. And the reservists that make up a core of our fighter experience, without a doubt, are knocking it out of the park every day. But there's something to be said to translate a maneuver in pilot training to the reality of why you need to do it in a fighter. And I hope that that's what I could provide those students to carry on with them. But I'll say that one of the most inspiring moments for me was what I could do with my powers, the wing commander. Um, And I'm sorry, this is going to be a little lengthy, but a student in T-38s who was slated to go to my F-15C wanted to quit pilot training two days before graduation. If he quit pilot training before graduation, he got no pilot training commitment, which right now is 10 years. If he quit the day after graduation, he has the 10-year commitment. At first, I want to throw the book at him. I want to figure out how I give him that 10-year commitment without the wings. And what that moment uh, in interaction with this lieutenant taught me was the importance of active listening and dropping kind of your thoughts or your biases at the door. And I met with him and asked him why he could possibly want to quit with two days to go. And he told me about his family that they were immigrants um, and he was the first generation American and his family at the time was going through financial difficulty and their house is being, um, or they were having to declare bankruptcy and their house is going to be repossessed. And he felt a familial responsibility to get home as fast as possible to take care of his family. And so this was all about commitment. How could he get home the fastest? And so he didn't want the 10-year commitment. And I asked him, in that moment as I'm hearing this, like me wanting to throw the book at him disappeared. Because now you see the person in context and their human story of what they're bringing to you rather than a piece of paper that crosses your desk. And so I asked him, I'm like, do you want to be a pilot? Yes. What if I could get you into the reserves where there is a reserve Air Force base where your family lives? Yes, absolutely. But you wouldn't fly a fighter. That's okay. I don't need to fly a fighter. I just want to fly. I want to serve, but I need to take care of my family. Hmm. Sorry about that. So, um, takes nine months, but I happen to know the wing commander at the reserve base. And I call her and I say, Hey, what do you think of this? And she's on board. Takes us nine minutes, nine months to get through some of the bureaucracy. Um, and this Lieutenant becomes a KC 135 pilot becomes a distinguished graduate at Altus air force base and currently is a operational KC-135 pilot in the Air Force Reserve, balancing the mission and the people that I always grew up under under Air Combat Command. 
right? Mission first people always. And through my boldness and finding a way to support that individual and the institution, we found the Mm win-win. And to see where James goes today, tomorrow, and in the future tells me that I lived John Boyd's, are you going to be somebody or are you going to do something? And I can sit back as a retired colonel knowing that I did something and did good because James has that opportunity. God dang it. I'm fired up. (laughs) I mean, that's an incredible uh, story and it's incredible story rooted in taking that moment of saying, hold on, let me, let me stop my perspective for a second. Let me pause my position and let me, let me just listen to this guy. Let me listen to what the words he says, put you guys in the direction of where you needed to move to next. And it's, and you're right. It's it's that win-win man. That's awesome. That's an awesome story. Thank you for sharing it. And I know there's parts of it that are emotional to think about because it's so powerful and you get to see uh, that's a life change, right? His life changed. Cause you could have just quit, yeah. right? You could have been the kind of commander who's like, fine, whatever. See ya. Bye. You want to quit, quit, whatever. And just let it go. Could have been a whole different scenario. I mean, a whole fan generational change, generational change. That's really awesome. You know what I just learned in this podcast? I just learned that that day in track select, I had my unicorn moment but I paid it forward and gave James his unicorn mm-hmm. moment without, without ever putting that together until this, until in this time with you, yeah. never, never, never saw that connection at all. It's the way these so pieces, right? No, it's the least we can do. It's the way these pieces come into play. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's the non-coincidental na- nature of life. Um, and you know, where, the, where you credit that to is everybody's got their perspective, but there's a reason, there's a reason why in that moment he had the commander that he did, that was able to, to navigate that. And you're right. That double unicorn moment. It's pretty, uh, pretty incredible. All right, let's wrap it up with this and, and just talk a little bit about, uh, being able to take that life experience, right. All of these experiences and putting some voice behind it and with intentionality, looking for opportunities to share that message, share that message of being bold. Uh, I know you've got a role with our friends at Athena's voice and man, we're just so excited about the work that Tammy and them are doing over there. Uh, we've got Presler coming on the air here too, as well soon. So, we're going to keep talking just these awesome uh, women that have just done incredible things on behalf of our nation. So what's that life look like for you? It's again, another opportunity to give back, right. And to have every single person's story, have an opportunity to change the world, whether if it's for you or all of your listeners. And I try to really share my story to have younger people believe in themselves and believe in their dream and go after them as well as helping us realize as a society that bias exists and that the first step in overcoming it is education and awareness 
And then using your voice to speak up when you face bias. And if you see bias, be an ally for those so that we can really evolve and change society. And then as we discussed today, focusing on the trust and teamwork that's inherent in every single thing that we do and showcase it in a really unique, cool opportunity that I had in my life, which was to give back through the Air Force Thunderbirds. Really incredible. Uh, my dad often um, talks about an acronym, the word fat. And he, he, you know, he's Air Force general, right? Stand in front of all these people say, we got to get fat. They're like, sir, excuse me. What's that? Fat? He said, yeah, F for focus. We have to be missional. What is our mission? We must be focused on our mission. A for attitude. With a positive can-do attitude, we can do anything. T, teamwork. And there's a lot of fat <laughs> that we've been chewing on this episode. And it's pretty simple stuff. But if you think, if you can come back to that, um, there's something there's something in there for sure. Man, I'm so grateful for the for the chance to do this, to to dig in, to talk about your journey, and to uh, and to and to dig in some stories that you've told before, but that we've kind of connected together, which is really pretty neat. That's that's a neat experience. I got I was chicken skinned. I mean, I'm all goosebumped up. I almost got myself emotional. Uh, but that's good stuff. Well, thanks for the opportunity to share some of uh, those stories and truly, you know, every single opportunity you have, there's a learning point in it. And yeah. um, I'm glad to have shared my own learning moments through my own stories today, because uh, I do feel a little bit awestruck in that. So yeah. thanks for showing me that. It's awesome. It's our, pro it's our privilege. Uh, we feel very honored to sit uh, and have created this show that is now we're over 70 episodes deep and we've been able to speak to some really great people. And, and again, the focus, and you guys know, you've been listening for months. The, the focus is centered around finding the men, the men and women among us who have gone above and beyond through service before self, strength of purpose and community impact. Let's continue to share those stories uh, and let's continue to lean in in those moments. She's Colonel Samantha combo weeks we're so incredibly grateful for the time today well thank you i'm brian jodas this has been pick up the six podcast <laughs>